London Stock Exchange Group is here to be your essential global markets infrastructure and data partner, where open isn't just a platform, but a philosophy, giving you the freedom to make your mark in the world. LSEG, open makes more possible. Now we're back for Q10. In August. We're talking hockey in August. I love it. Uh, the middle of the playoffs. But uh, let's get to it, John. Yeah, so you recently put out an article, by the way, yeah. uh, telling everybody to stop complaining. Let's Please. Get- <laughs> STFU. I wish I could take a picture of your face right now and tweet it out. It's, the eye rolling was, uh, that was Hall of Fame worthy there. Exactly. Let's, let's talk about this. We spent some time talking about the playoffs and the last episode. Right. Let's move forward with the draft. You talk about people complaining. One of the things that's getting a lot of play uh, over the last week or so, people want to talk about the LA Kings, the New York Rangers, and what's yeah. going to happen at the top of the draft. To, to sort of jump into this conversation, you have a clip, I think, queued up. Why don't you yeah. play this? This is the Godfather. This is Bob McKenzie offering his opinion recently on a radio show. As he strides into semi-retirement, <laughs> he dropped this bomb. There you go. L.A. might be a team that, in my mind, might have more interest in a guy like Stutzla than, than Byfield. That's just anecdotal, just my opinion. So... I'm going to come in hot right now, ahead, DB. John. Who am I to argue with Bob, right? That's what Correct. everybody's going to say That's when I say one. this. But, right. but let me just tell you, as far as I'm concerned and everything that I've heard and the people that I talk to, the Kings love Byfield. Now, I have to always preface this because I've said this 4,700 times and I'm going to have to say it a million more because the draft is not for like another three years, I think. And that's our burden. <laughs> it's it's we are, until October. I, yeah, it's crazy. You're it's like the trade deadline all over again, oh, right? Boy. So now it's the draft. It's the draft. So if the draft was tomorrow, I think they're all in on Byfield and that's who they would be taking. Now, could something change between now and the draft? Absolutely. Um, 
people are going to talk about the fact that they're deep at center. And we've recently had on Gabe Velarde yeah. and some other people and guys have talked about moving from center to wing. It's a great problem to have. Byfield is just too much to pass up, in my opinion. And I think that's that's where they are. Um, you want to weigh in on the whole Byfield Stutzel thing before we get to the potential of trading into the number one spot? Um, no, let's talk about trading to the number one spot because I have a take that you definitely won't enjoy. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, I don't think that L.A. is willing to trade into the number one spot because I don't think that they're willing to spend the draft capital to do that. And here's the reason why. If they're going to spend their extra draft capital, whether that's the three second round picks, whether it's number one uh, for the following year or whatever, the player that they really need that's not available at the top of this year's draft is a number one defenseman. They have the top prospect, one of the top prospect pools in all of, uh, you know, the NHL right now. And that's that's a given. Everybody knows that. But the piece that's missing is that high-end defenseman. Mm-hmm. I, I hate using the term the replacement for Drew Doughty, but when you look out five, eight years from now, right, who is, who's the anchor on the blue line? Who's that top defenseman? That's what they need because they don't have that player. Well, but do you want the replacement for Drew or the partner for Drew? Oh, fine, the partner. So okay. maybe we'll, we'll use that phrase left, instead. Right. Okay, okay, sure. So maybe there's that phrase yeah. instead. Okay. But who is the next high-end mm-hmm. defenseman in this organization? They don't have that they yet. Have so they're okay. either going to have to use their draft capital, their assets, to trade for that another team might have that, or they're going to have to use that to get into the you know top five, top ten of the draft somehow next year, mm-hmm. which is a deep uh, defensive draft. Yeah. So I don't see them using the draft capital to do that this year. To go to one. To go to number one. And they don't need to go to number one because for as awesome as, you know, the guy is at the top, they would be perfectly content with getting either Byfield or Stutzel. So what's your take on trading into the number one spot? Okay, so the big content, big picture, and I wrote it in the article. Um, of the last top five players selected in the last half drafts, one player has won a Stanley Cup. Tyler Sagan. Okay, and he was traded two seasons after he won the Stanley Cup. Okay, I think of the last ten first overall picks uh, since they've been picked, they've won two playoff rounds. And the perfection line in Boston, I think the highest draft pick there was twenty four. And one player was drafted in the second round, another one in the third round, Marshawn. Here's what I think they should do. They probably <laughs> won't do it, and you're already laughing. They should trade down to the three. And try and make a call to Ottawa and try to get, because of what you mentioned, try to get that pick from the Islanders to stay in the first round. That's what I would do. Because if, it, if it's, and John, like, you know, you've talked to people. If you think that, is it 60-40 byfield or is it 80-20? Because if it's 50-50 and you can't choose between the two players, trade down and try to get that and try to utilize that 15 or 17 pick for a defenseman who's probably going to be there. And John, to be honest with you, I would I would make all those picks in the second round because I think there's some. Let's go back to the Muzzin trade. Everybody thinks it's a really solid trade, but Grunstrom's on the fence now. Is he a player? Is Dursey the guy? So now is it just beyond foot for Muzzin? So I think that the strategy's got to change a little bit. Not that they're going to do that, but I, I would absolutely make a call to Ottawa, try to get that additional. And if you got to throw in one of your picks to get to that fifteen or seventeen, I would do that. 
I don't think that 15 is going to be high enough to get you a to defenseman. Okay. Yeah, uh, because I, I don't think they're in on Drysdale. So you, you start to go, okay, well, who's the next guy that's Jake available? Sanderson. And that's the guy that I think that they would like to have if they had their choice. He's probably going around 10. It, it's what I'm saying. So yeah. I don't think they're going to be able to get high enough. And then there's also Raymond who's sitting there in that top 10 that they also love. Not that they would want to trade draft yeah. capital to pick two forwards. Right, right, right. Um, there is something to be said for qua- uh, quality over quantity right now, which is mm-hmm. why I think that they will move some of those. I think one of the questions on Twitter recently was if the uh, over-under pick was it, uh, or the over-under was eight and a half, and I, and I took the under on mm-hmm. the number of players they'll come out of this yeah. particular draft with. What do you think about trading down to three? Trading down to three is interesting. Um, I think they like Byfield more than 60-40. They that's, do, that's, okay. That's my, that's my gut. No one's gone yeah. on record I'm with me. I'm doing the premise of like it's fit, if you can't choose, if it's a coin toss. Well, here's what yeah. I would say. The, the, it, everything's in tiers. So the, the number one player is the number one tier. Right. He, he's Agreed. the only one there. It's Correct. And, and so for all these people trying to say that Byf, it's Byfield, you know, and, and Alex, it's not. It's, it's, he's clearly yeah, number right. one. He's been the consensus number one pick. Then in the second group, there's really only two players. It's Byfield right. and Stutzel. Right. I think you could make the argument that maybe there's a third player. It's kind of like the Zegris argument last year. Mm-hmm. Zegris was should have been a top five, yeah. uh, and, and you know he's lucky that Anaheim was able to get him. But sure. people slept on him, and, and but many scouts that I talked with thought that he was a fantastic player and could have been selected there up in the and top five. he did five. a great job in the juniors. Yeah, right. and, and so you look at uh, you look at a guy like that, mm-hmm. and, and the same thing. You look at someone. Uh, else who potentially could slide in there eh, maybe but the reality is i think the kings are all in on and my you field. think that the rangers are definitely gonna pick Here, here's what i'll say but i don't know i don't i don't have a, a deep connected source to the new york rangers but right. here's what i'll say um the rangers if they're interested in trading out this is where i think the real dilemma is for me the rangers are more allegedly more interested in trading down than the kings are in interest interested trading in trading up, up. so right. the rangers aren't going to give the kings assets to no. move down so <laughs> it just becomes why did the king if the kings really like byfield why would you want to use extra assets no. to trade up? You're not Knowing afraid. He'll be picked. For, you're not six. afraid that the Rangers are going to pick Byfield. I, for a second, don't believe at all that the Rangers are going to pick Byfield. Yeah. Show me a GM who has the stones to go against the grain on the number one player. This is not Taylor versus Tyler back in 2010. Right. This is the consensus number one pick for the last year plus. Everyone's been hyping this kid. And you're telling me the Rangers are going to, they're, they're the team that's going to go off the board. Their GM is going to put his job in jeopardy and say, nah, we're, we're going to take Byfield. We think he's the better player. I think the logic was first suggested by Larry Brooks at the post that you have Kreider and Panarin on left wing. You have Zibanejad at center, but you have Ryan Strom as a 2C who was a coming off a career year. The depth need is more at, at center than at wing, especially on left wing. But what, what the whole in that theory is, is that Panarin's a right shot left winger. You could easily move him over to left to right wing, move Bushnevis down the lineup. So, uh, yeah, I agree. With I, you. I I'm not so. arguing that the Rangers won't trade the pick. All I'm saying is if the Rangers are there. Are they, they're never not picking. Yeah, I'm not worried about the Rangers picking Byfield if I'm L.A. Right. I know who the I know who's going number one. Like right. I'd be willing. You, you like to bet money? I, I, I bet money. That's the player yeah. that's going number one. Right. I don't know if it's the Rangers. Right. I don't know if it's Ottawa. If I'm Ottawa, I'd package the two picks. And it, like, that's a perfect deal right there, right? Mm-hmm. Ottawa needs players. They want the number one guy. They're bummed they didn't get the number one guy. The Rangers allegedly don't want the number one pick because they don't want to take a winger, mm-hmm. allegedly. Right. Then there's your deal right there. The right. Kings just aren't in the conversation. I don't see why the Kings would be willing to make that deal unless somehow... 
I don't want to call it a fleecing, but unless somehow you can make a deal to move up into number one with the Rangers and not give up most of your draft capital. So you just figure out a way to move up to number one without giving up much. Okay, then I think there's a deal for LA. But if you're the Rangers, that still doesn't make sense to me because a team like Ottawa would pay way more than what LA should be all willing right, so to pay. So let's play one more, one more permutation of this game. Oh, please, is, we is have there, all the time in the world because this is going to last until the draft happens. Is there a way that you could see a deal where they trade out of the two and try to get three and five from Ottawa? This what would you even consider that? Uh, I would, would I consider it? Sure. I would consider it. I okay. mean, I, I think that that's, it'd be tough to do. I don't see the Kings trading out of number two, right? They're, you know, they're okay. pissed off to, that they dropped last year. They're fine with the player they got in Turkon, but right. I mean, just look at Luke's face. <laughs> it was on the, on the screen when they dropped last year right. uh, and he was sitting in the room. Right. Um, but you get Stutzel and Drysdale, yeah, that's what, but they don't like Drysdale as much. Okay. I, I don't see them taking see Drysdale. Okay. No, yeah, I mean, just... maybe, maybe I don't see them taking Drysdale because I don't see them taking him if they only had one pick in the top right, five right now right. maybe if you had three and five now would you take Stutzel and Drysdale right. well now maybe you would but I still don't think that Drysdale would be the guy that they would take well, nothing we've achieved answering a lot of Twitter questions right now uh okay well there'll be a hundred more, more that are coming this, right, how about how about we move on and we get into the second period sure. and we go completely completely to the opposite uh, end of the spectrum totally we're talking 2020 NHL draft uh why don't we bring in Matt Price who is the LA Kings strength and conditioning coach and sure. Take a peek behind the curtain and talk about um, not the coaching yeah. side of the, 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 the game, not the not the GM side of the game, but the training and conditioning, which is really something that's very important for these high-end athletes that we're talking about. Absolutely. Let's do it, John. We'll be back after the break. Kings of the podcast, second period, back with our guest this week. Now, here's a name that people might yeah. not know. It's kind of like the guy behind the guy. Matt Price, strength and conditioning but coach. But a legend. Oh, we'll, we'll yeah. get into that. Pricer, what's happening? <laughs> legend, I like it. Kick it off with a bang. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, yeah, all good, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, uh, how about this one, just to start out with? The LA Kings are obviously on the outside looking in. They're one of the seven teams that are not participating it's gone from no sports, no hockey for many, many months. And now we're in this weird world where it's like hockey overload. Hockey is on from as early as you can wake up until as late as you can go to bed. What's it like for a guy like you who's used to being at the rink, used to being at TSC, used to being around the guys uh, to just being at home watching hockey, I'm guessing? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's certainly sort of bizarre. But I think probably like you guys, you go from nothing and, and we kind of fall back into a, a rhythm pretty quickly and it, it starts to feel somewhat normal. Um, I've got a four-month-old baby uh, that <clears throat> popped in here during the, the whole lockdown thing. And wow. so I'm trying to watch hockey. I, I hold him in front of the TV so I can just watch a game over his, his shoulder. So I'm um, trying to double down on my duties here but um actually we we've been fortunate we got access to our facility uh about a uh, two weeks ago now so we just have a small group of guys and we're following uh phase two protocol from the league and and just to be in the rink for a few hours each day and to have games on in the background it's it's really been sort of fun and 
uh, just gives you that sort of sense of normalcy again. So let's let's sort of just give people a, a peek behind the curtain. So uh, on, on a normal day, you're standing off to the side of the rink there at TSC. The players are coming off. They're all walking over. Uh, not all of them, but most of them are walking over and they're, they're bugging you to get some some data. What can you share with us about that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly not top secret by any stretch. Um, we're, we're one of the teams that has invested, I would say, uh, very healthily into uh, sports science and data collection um, and all the things that sort of fall under the, uh, you know, the, the, the rules of the league of what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. But we, um, you know, we, we monitor our players closely. We use uh, on the rink, and that's what you see me doing most days, is uh, we, we put a little... Uh, microchip in the players pads and we track uh, practices and rehab sessions and, and these types of uh, activities at Toyota sports. And that data um, kind of gets piped out into different streams. And so, you know, the first sort of uh, interaction, like you mentioned, was the player coming off the ice and wants to have uh, some sort of indication of whether it was how much work they did, or maybe there was some sort of speed uh, number that they were curious about. So we can give them some instant feedback about the actual practice. And then from there, we'll take the information and, and uh, um, distill it down and summarize it for the coaching staff. And we can, we can help them, uh, you know, put some context to how hard the practice was or maybe how much work each player did and what certain drills achieved, if that's, if, if that's what they're looking for. Um, and, then, and then from a, a more of a 10,000-foot view, that information um, helps shape sort of the, the long-term view of the player. And when I say long-term, we're thinking of one, two, and three weeks. And we use that sort of leg metric to help manage our players' energy, help the coaching staff plan, plan days off, or perhaps uh, when we should be pushing our players a little bit harder and all within the context of the, the day-to-day game schedule. So sort of a neat little piece of technology. And there's more and more teams around the league now using something similar. And and uh, like I said, we've been fortunate to be early adopters, and I think we've uh, we've got a really good uh, program in place that helps support our players' performance. So, Presser, that's the little microchip that goes in the man bra. <laughs> yeah, and, and you've uh, probably been <laughs> Come on. fortunate to see some creepy guys that like to wear it with no shirt. So, <laughs> some big hairy monsters with a man bra. Not not a good look. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, okay, without kind of like naming names here uh, or, or specific conversations to the coaches, but um, this technology was was starting to be used by the Kings, and they've had many coaching changes here over the last couple of years, or you know, three different guys. Um, it wasn't something that was talked about on the record, but sort of shameless plug time. Uh, John Stevens talked a little bit about it on Mayor's Manor back in, I think, early 2018. So what, training camp two years ago? Um, John was very uh, interested in this type of technology, from what I understand, and, and was sort of instrumental in helping. And maybe I'm wrong and you can correct me, but can you just talk at all about the difference of trying to merge what you're doing with what the coaches are trying to do and, and sort of... Uh, maybe compare and contrast, well, how you might use the data with John or how you might commu- have communicated the information with him versus maybe with Willie or then ma- now maybe even with Todd. I would imagine there's a different type of conversation that takes place with the, the different types of coaches. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's a huge, huge point to make. And, and <clears throat> we're still at the sort of front front edge of this sort of adoption. And 
Um, well, most teams are doing some form of this type of player tracking. Uh, it's happening to different d- degrees. And just because you have the technology doesn't mean it's necessarily used well or used correctly. Um, and John Stevens was, uh, you know, actually when we brought on this type of technology, it was under Daryl Sutter and John was uh, associate head coach at the time. And, um, you know, John's sort of a, a progressive coach in a lot of senses. And actually at the time, uh, his two sons were still at, at Northeastern university. And so he's kind of connected to that sort of new age type of game and some of where, where the technology stuff plays into it. And when he became head coach, I think John, not only was he very curious in it, um, he became a student of the information and, and it started to really play a big part of his daily planning. And, and I think with John, um, there was much more, uh, engagement with the information and him and I would have, you know, this dialogue around how we wanted to handle, you know, the acute phase, the day to day, or potentially look at how we wanted to plan out certain road trips or segments of the schedule. So in that sense, probably very heavily involved. Um, again, Willie was, was a little different, but he also had some really good experience with this type of technology with hockey. Canada is a, is a big user of, of player tracking technology and he had used it at the Olympic games in Korea. And, um, you know, <clears throat> again, a guy who, who kind of wanted to use it to help shape practices and have an understanding of, of where things were at from a player standpoint. And I think Todd's just, you know, a little bit more on the old school end of the spectrum when it comes to technology. Um, you know, and there's, there's certainly conversations to be had, but I think with Todd, what he prefers is that the information is communicated more directly with, uh, Marco and, and, uh, um, Trent Yanni, and <clears throat> they're sort of the, the middleman in terms of how we want to, uh, leverage the information to potentially use it. But I think at the end of the day, any of this information, whatever I'm going to offer them, um, in terms of insight is simply just a tool and it helps them make better decisions. At the end of the day, the head coach is the boss. He and Todd, as, a, as an example, has a, a, an amazing amount of experience handling players. He has a great feel for what to do in, in a lot of situations, obviously. And if this little piece of information just helps him make a slightly better decision or just uh, confirms what he wanted to do. I think that's where it fits in. And, and by no means are we trying to tell the coaches what to do, but just another, <laughs> another tool in the, in the toolbox, so to speak. Yeah. So tell me about that conversation. Then when you went to Daryl and tried to t- tell him what to do, how did that go over? <laughs> <laughs> that, that conversation uh, never Dar- happened, right? <laughs> I don't think Daryl knew who I was. The first year. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Daryl knows who we are, but he likes to yeah, act like he doesn't. Exactly. <laughs> Hey, Matt, so uh, given the pandemic, how has the approach or your strategy changed? Because it's going to be probably eight and a half months between the last regular season game and the first regular season game. So uh, how does this change the optics with respect to how you deal with the players? Yeah, it's a really uh, fascinating sort of uh, almost like a pilot project here. It's a, it's a, it's a situation we're never going to see again, hopefully. Um, and I think, I think the cool part is, is if you go up and down a roster and you go from like a Dustin Brown and 1200 games and you go down to a, a Mikey Anderson or a Gabe Velarde with a dozen games, when you, when you look at the situation that we're faced with, with eight, eight or nine months between games, 
in all examples across the board, you could make a, a really strong argument. This, this is a great thing for them. Um, and I'm coming at it from a, uh, an off ice, uh, physical health and performance perspective. Of course, guys need to be connected to the game. They need to have time on ice. They need to be touching pucks. And there's, there's another aspect to this, but going down the path of the physical side, the off ice side, if you think of a Dustin Brown, who's got so many miles on his body, the wear and tear he's been through, the opportunity to take that amount of time off to let his body heal, to, to, to fix his shoulders and his hips and his knees and his back and all the things that he, you know, runs through the wall uh, all winter long. This is a great thing for a guy like Dustin Brown, uh, Jeff Carter, Jonathan Quick. So the, the healing aspect is huge. If you swing to the other side of the spectrum, Gabe Velarde, Mikey Anderson, the young guys that are super skilled hockey players but still have physical growth and development to do. Another huge opportunity to move that needle. So, you know, we're, we were in a unique situation. Obviously, there's, there's six other teams that are in the same boat. But um, the thing that we've communicated is a huge opportunity. Use this as a chance to close the gap, to catch the next layer, to really emphasize and, and uh, accelerate physical development. So um, <clears throat> at no point did we handle it as a detriment. It was never a negative. It was always uh, mm -hmm. viewed as a positive. And, and the key was being organized um, and handling uh, the situation with, uh, I think, with as much enthusiasm and as much uh, uh, execution as, as possible. Clearly there were some limitations early on, but right now I think guys have really done a good job of really maximize the time available. And, and I think um, in all cases, this has been a real uh, blessing in some ways. Now, Pricer, we can dig in more and we can talk about the players and we will. And I want to talk about your history and how you joined the Kings. But, but first little breaking news here for you, DB. Uh, Pricer, not only, he doesn't only care about the players. He also cares about the fans. Uh, there's some, there's some videos that he's cut recently from what I hear that uh, it's workout workout tips for the fans. You can look for those videos to be coming out real soon. You mean to battle the quarantine 15 pounds I, I, that everybody gained? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I don't know. What, what can you I mean, I know this is kind of breaking news here, but what can you share with us about uh, these videos that are going to be coming out? <laughs> well, I look like a washed up old hockey player more than I do a fitness model. But um, <laughs> they can they can got, fix that uh, in editing. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, no, we've got a very talented uh, video crew behind the scenes. Um, yeah, we, we were fortunate to uh, be able to provide some some content. Uh, Trent Fry, my, my assistant strength coach, and Paul Lucas, the Ontario Rain strength coach, and we, we got together with our, uh, you know, with our masks on, and we socially distanced, of course, and we, we picked a nice spot in Manhattan Beach to, uh, to share some thoughts around how folks at home can can stay active and stay fit during the, uh, you know, a unique time. And, and when you're locked in your house with very little or no equipment at all. And so just some, some creative ideas and hopefully uh, those come across well when they're, uh, when they're published and shared through social media streams. So Dennis just works out every day by lifting cases of Red Bull. He just it, like presses them over his head. That's what he does. I'm still trying to figure out what I, have I want to do. I a Nordic track right behind you. So come on. Okay. Full disclosure. <laughs> and Matt, Matt, I got a question for you. So, when you're a kid, nobody wants to grow up to be a strength and conditioning coach. So how, how did you, how do you know that? Maybe he did. Who, he would be the one guy. <laughs> I'm assuming. I'm being an assumption. So, Matt, so how did you find this career path? It's funny. I was listening to uh, Bob McKenzie yesterday do his uh, final radio spot on his uh, semi-retirement tour. 
and they asked a similar question, right? So no one grows up wanting to be a, a sports writer. So <clears throat> we're all we're all in some way, if we're in sports, we're likely uh, at one point had aspirations of of being an athlete in in said sport. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like like most guys, are growing up in Canada, I was a I was a hockey player and actually relatively decent. I uh, I played major junior hockey and, and had a a small cup of tea, a tryout with the Toronto Maple Leafs back in the nineties. And I kind of did my thing. And, and when I ended up in university, I really not really sure what I was doing with my, my life or my career post hockey, but um, always was a guy who enjoyed the, the fitness part, the training side. And this idea that through programming, through off ice training, you could improve performance. I thought that was really fascinating. And um, in the nineties, there weren't a lot of strength coaches around, especially in Canada. It was kind of, you know, personal trainers and, and these bodybuilder type guys that were trying to help athletes. And, um, long story short, I was introduced to, uh, the field and the science of kinesiology. Uh, I was still a, a university hockey player at the time. And, um, just to me, the light went off. I thought, wow, mm-hmm. this is really cool. Like the whole idea of sports science and strength and conditioning and, and I could work with hockey players. I had no clue how that was going to become a career. Um, but I, I kind of chased it, followed it, um, put my heart and soul into it. And, um, you know, if, if you can't be uh, an NHL player, I think being an NHL strength coach is a, is a pretty good consolation prize. And, and to be honest, uh, uh, when I knew I wasn't going to be a player, this was always the dream was to, to work with uh, NHL players with a team. Um, and I'll just say like, you know, you can work with players in a private setting away from the team but but the reason I want to be with the team and particularly the, the LA Kings is the chance to win um, that's why we why we're here is why we sacrifice and, and I think uh, that's the opportunity we all seek is it is the chance to win a championship you were at Kingston right I was now did you cross pass with Avery there or or did he come in after you left uh, very closely so um, I was actually traded as a 20-year-old, uh, and Avery was traded to Kingston about a month later. And while we didn't cross paths, he actually moved in with my former billet. So um, wow. I, I know Sean very uh, uh, very casually from the hockey circles, but not didn't technically cross paths in Kingston. Yeah, and then you had uh, Matt Cook was, was there with you uh, before you were traded, though, right? Correct, yeah. So Cookie and I played together in Kingston. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, so a couple guys came out of that team, um, that, that went on to have careers, but cookie probably one of the more, uh, well-known names. What's it like being traded? I mean, do you even have any memories of that? It, it happened, you know, at such a young age, but when you're traded, I think that would make a, a mark on you. Yeah, I think, and, I, and when I hear guys talk about it at the NHL level, it, you hear the same things, right? And it's the first time you get traded, it's, uh, it's devastating. Um, you know, you, you, you grow attached to the city that you're playing in. You grow attached to the people, the, the rink, the, just the, the faces, the town, all these things that you're, you become a part of who you are, especially when you're young. Like, you know, you don't have a, a lot of experience in the world and <clears throat> that, that becomes a little bit of a, a safety net for you is this, this world that you know. And then all of a sudden someone says, Hey, by the way, you got to move and uh, you got to move now. And you jump in your car and you drive, you know, eight hours the other direction across the, uh, the province. But, um, and you feel a little bit um, let down, you feel abandoned, you feel, you feel a lot of things. It's emotional. And, you know, I, I think about it now and I see 
you know, we've had a lot of guys get traded here over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's the same thing. Um, guys that were drafted here, signed here, developed here, won here, started families here, bought a home here, became a part of the community. And then unfortunately, um, you know, the way things are going that they, they move on to, to different cities and different teams. And, um, you see the same emotions, uh, and it's hard. It's, it's really hard on guys. Um, I don't care how old and grizzled you are. That first trade will always sort of rock you. And, and it kind of opens you up to the, uh, the reality that hockey is a business and, um, there's no ill will. There's no, there's no bad feelings, but, um, we're all here to win. And, and there's, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, reasons why people have to move on, but it is emotional. That's, that's the truth and the reality of it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, uh, I know Mike Richards was in, in LA, uh, you know, before you really arrived on the scene. Uh, but, and Richards, it wasn't somebody as a player who really opened up to the media here in LA and talked a lot, but I do remember, and it's always resonated with me. The, the one conversation where he really opened up one time, um, was about his feelings about being traded and just, how hard it was on him emotionally. And you could, you could tell that he still carried that baggage with him and how difficult it was. And I think that's something that does get lost, you know, especially in the whole social media world, you know, trade this guy, trade that guy, you know, the Xbox world, the Twitter world or whatever, that I don't think that fans really understand the, the emotional side of it. Like you said, of you're leaving your, your safety net, your friends, your family, your, your own little bubble of, uh, of security and, and all the feelings of, it's kind of like a, a breakup, you know, uh, of, of how you deal with it. Uh, real quickly, though, um, any funny Mark Hunter stories? When you did land at Sarnia, though, you did have Hunter there. <laughs> oh, man. So when I when I had Mark Hunter as a coach, I, I was kind of at the point now where I knew, like, my aspirations of the NHL were kind of over. Mark couldn't get to me. Like, and this is, a, this is as hard ass of a coach you could ever imagine, right? And... Um, so at this point, I know I'm kind of done. I'm going to go to play Canadian University hockey, and, and he can't pull the, the strings and push the buttons on me like he could with some other guys. And it was kind of a neat year. Like, I was only there for three, four, five months, whatever it ended up being. And so you had Mark Hunter as your coach. You had Dino Cicerelli was one of the owners, and he wasn't playing that year. So he was in Detroit, which was only an hour away from Sarnia. So Dino was around a lot. And then Dale Hunter was still playing if I'm not mistaken. So there's the Hunter Cicerelli uh, famous Hatfield McCoy type dynamic going on. And the Hunters obviously went on to to own the London Knights up the road years later and have success. But uh, I digress. So back to Mark Hunter. The one thing about Mark Hunter that I'll I'll never forget, I'm I'm 20 years old. So I'm I'm one of the guys on the team that can probably shave. And uh, (laughs) I... uh, I kind of, you know, and I was injured a lot. I had a bunch of shoulder problems. So it was morning skate, and I think Mark had begged skate of me. And so I go, and I'm, I'm in front of the mirror, and I start lathering up with some, some shaving cream. And Mark Hunter has a very thick, uh, bristly beard, right? Like, he's got some man beard going on. And it's a couple days old, and he just saddles up beside me, dunks the razor under the water, and just starts scraping away. And oh. he kind of just looks at me, and he goes, Shaving creams for you can imagine what, and uh, I was just in awe. Like he just hacked away, and not one drop of blood. I thought, oh my god, this guy's nuts. <laughs> and since then, you've stopped using shaving cream, I would imagine. 
Never used it again. <laughs> Fantastic. What about uh, switching back to some of the players? Um, I, I would imagine that some of the players take very naturally to wanting to be involved in the, the analytics side of it and the new age, you know, sort of science part of it. Um, again, without naming names, can you just talk about the, the process of maybe having to convince or sell a, a, a player who is maybe not as open to um, you know, the process and trying to get them involved and trying to educate them. What is, how does that process go? Yeah, no, I think it, it's, it's a really great question and, and not all players are instantly into it. It's kind of that rule of thirds, right? Like we have a third of the guys who are so into it and you got kind of that middle third that could take it or leave it. And then there's a third of the guys that flat out don't care about it or, or even refuse to, to, learn about it. But um, at the end of the day, I think any player that's interested in getting better will, will recognize something, you know, uh, if there's a, if there's something available to them and they think it can improve their situation, uh, the smart guys will, will latch on to it. And so my job is to uh, a, not force it on anyone, but B um, educate them and, and discuss with them how, you know, the technology can, help them and I can't confuse them with numbers and graphs it's got to be in context I think that's uh I I hope that's part of why I'm good at what I do is as being a former player and being able to phrase things and and create context with information that that connects with the player and and I think once they understand why something can help them and how it's going to help them most of the time we have no problem they're gonna they're gonna get involved and they're gonna engage themselves with it and and they understand that um even if they're not interacting with it at a high level um if they're not the first guy to run over to me after a practice when you see me rank side they know that i have their best interest in mind and that there's there's something objective in the background that i'm going to use to support them and use that to help with with the coaching staff and to help with the development and and um, sort of uh, with the player performance side so you know, it, it's certainly not a uh, 100% uh, compliance or, or success rate with, with the sales job, but um, I think in the end we have a, a high degree of, of uh, engagement with the players, and I think they all understand that it's, it's a tool to help. Matt, I won't – John didn't ask you to name names, but I will. So <laughs> are, are there one – you've – a lot of players have come through your door over your time with the Kings – are the one or two that made incredible strides or you thought would never progress to the level they did? Um, one or two players that, that did that uh, under your tutelage? Well, that's a, uh, that's a tough one. Um, I guess, yeah, I don't, I, there's not a name that pops off the sheet to me right now, but I think <laughs> I'll use a guy who's with us now as a, as an excellent example, uh, like Curtis McDermott, for example, when I got here, uh, in 2014, summer 2014 was just turning pro. Um, or he might even still been a junior. I'd have to check that. And Curtis is a guy who, uh, obviously Dean had brought on as a project and there was a, there was a lot of things they had to work on with him at the time. And I remember, so I arrived in training camp, and they had tasked Curtis with getting as big and strong as possible. <clears throat> Excuse me. And if you know Curtis at all, uh, getting as big and strong as possible was 
something pretty easy to do. And this guy got big. I mean, he was a monster. But we all know Curtis's game. He, he needs to be more mobile, more athletic on the mm-hmm. ice. And he really struggled with how he moved because he did exactly what was asked of him. He got as big and strong as possible. And I remember having a sort of one of my first uh, head-to-head battles with Dean when I when I kind of puffed my chest and uh, told him that, I, hey, this guy's too big. And Dean kind of fired back like, you know, how can that be possible, right? <laughs> and, and so um, <clears throat> Curtis was a guy that when we sort of dug a little deeper on and said, you know, here's, here's what we want you to look like and here's, you know, the sort of, the weight range you should play at. Here are the things we're going to emphasize in your training. Um, you know, here's what we're going to stay away from because this guy picks up weights and, and he grow. he's a freak, right? And we need him to be as mobile and athletic as possible. And he's already going to overpower 99% of the league just where he is now. So I think Curtis took, again, took the direction and he does everything you ask of him. And from that point, you know, that was six years ago. We all know that the guy is pound for pound or maybe just one of the toughest guys in hockey as it is. But now he's a, he's a, he's a regular in the lineup. He's an NHL hockey player. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not going anywhere. And he's earned that by, I think, just working his ass off and doing everything that was asked of him and, and just – to see that sort of transformation and he's kind of been through these different iterations of Curtis McDermott, but I think he's been an example of um, the off ice work and the skill work that he puts in with the development staff. And he's, he's earned everything he's gotten to this point. And I think, you know, maybe that's a, a good example of that question. Something to sort of pivot off of that. You're also involved with uh, safe for athletes, which is, and, and maybe I get this wrong, but it's safe supplements. And this is such a big topic, not only in the National Hockey League, but I'm a big UFC guy. This is a big topic in, in combat sports and other things. How, how much of a challenge is that today compared to maybe where it was 10 years ago? Is, is the science and technology, is it, is it easier to know where you're, you know, safe supplements and all that sort of stuff? Or is it, is it still that constant struggle that it was 10 years ago of trying to figure out what to put in an athlete's body and what not to put in their body, you know, so they don't get flagged and they don't get popped. Yeah, no, honestly, it's come so far over the last 10 years, Um, you know, right off the top, the league has a really clear uh, policy around what teams can provide to players. And there's a, there's a certification board called NSF that most people would recognize the little blue, blue stamp on a lot of things, but they, they're the ones that actually test the, the products and stamp it and, cl- and and deem it clear of any banned substance. And so right off the top, that's the only product line that we can select from. So if it doesn't have NSF uh, certification, it's, it's a non-starter. Um, the next part of it is just educating players and a lot of conversation around a, what's effective and B what's safe. And I think some players are certainly uh, more autonomous in that type of a, uh, an area and they're, they're willing to take on some of the sort of, uh, you know, the, the selection of what they want to take and how they want to take it. But I think, you know, for the vast majority of players, what they do is they just put their, their trust in the staff. Um, they ask basically, what should I take? We tell them what to take and how to take it and how much. And we direct them in the right in the right areas, and and we have some trusted companies that we we deal with very closely. And to be honest, um, 
if they want to venture outside of that, it's, it's sort of at the, the player's own peril. But even at that, I mean, there's an app that they can download. They can look up any product by lot number. It's, it's so advanced now that, um, to be honest, guys, if a player uh, tests positive for something and they're pointing a finger at supplements, um, I got a hard time with it. They've either made a very, very silly mistake or something else is going on. And so it, it's, it's at that level now where it's almost foolproof. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How true is it that Austin Wagner would text you daily uh, regarding his workout a couple years ago? <laughs> uh, yeah, relatively <laughs> true. But I think, but, but not just Wags. Like, we got a lot of guys uh, that are... Well, Gabe Velarde name-dropped you, know, you on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. There you go. Like, Gabe... Uh, Kale Quag, Wags, uh, a lot of that young crew um, that that we have a lot of interaction with. Um, uh, who else would be in that boat? You know, obviously uh, Mikey Anderson. Uh, we get a lot of engagement with. Uh, just, I think these young guys that um, you know, we're here to help direct, help lead, help help uh, develop. You know, they're they're at home right now with with trainers um, that we have relationships with. Um, they're very, very motivated, um, very coachable guys and they want feedback. They want to, they want to know what we think of certain things. And I think, um, you know, Wags is a great example. Uh, Gabe is another guy who, um, will be back in LA, uh, relatively soon, I believe. And, and just like highly, highly motivated. Um, really, you know, he, you know, his story is, uh, uh, well-documented, but, um, we get that from a lot of young guys, and I think it's a testament to the type of people that the scouting staff tends to draft, um, high character, high quality people that are motivated to learn, develop, and grow, and, and um, no one told them to do that. They're just, they're just taking that on, and, and they're wanting to get as much out of their off-season as possible. So last question, and first of all, thank you again for all of your time today. It's been fantastic. Uh, it's hard to get a word out of you at the rink uh, because they keep you under lock and key. So it's been, it's been great to to hear sort of, uh, you know, your perspective on things. And, and this, is, this will be the last question then. Um, I'm assuming that when you arrived in L.A., you thought this is the greatest thing of all time. You arrived in the summer of 2014. You're, the Kings were at their peak, at their high. They're coming off of... You know, two Stanley Cups, uh, 2013 wasn't a bad year either. So it's a fantastic time. And the train went off the tracks very quickly. I'm not blaming you. Don't worry. It's not your fault. Although, although now that I think about it in retrospect. It's so nice of you, John. Yeah, the, the timeline is lining up. It's all, yeah, the correlation. <laughs> it's all making more sense now. Um, but this reminds me of the Matt Luff conversation. I don't know if you know this, but Luff made his NHL debut, played one game, and then the next day John Stevens got fired. So, I mean, I do kind of blame Matt for that. Um, there you go. And you're a Matt as well. So this is making even more sense. But really where I was going was, as you've seen this sort of um, thing unravel uh, over, you know, the period of time that you've been here. And then now there's there's so much promise. There's so much hope, uh, you know, as you look towards the future in the next couple of years really should be much, much brighter years in Los Angeles. When you think back to the most recent times, um, is the outdoor game, is that is that kind of like the most recent highlight for you? Yeah, I mean, you kind of laid it all out there pretty well. Um, certainly, I certainly bought my LA King stock extremely high, um, <laughs> yeah. and so I'm I'm all in. Um, and yeah, and you I'm, can't I'm, leave I'm, now. I'm, 
no, I'm excited to ride this back up. And, and I think, uh, I think, I think there's a really incredible future here. And I, I'm just so excited about the group of players that are, that are forming here and that we've been accumulating. And so, um, you're certainly right. This is, this is a really exciting time and, and you're right. You go back, um, seems like forever ago now, but that little stretch we went on just before, uh, we got shut down and the outdoor game was, a sort of what, you know, maybe the, the, the highlight of that little seven game streak and just the whole atmosphere. And I think, you know, just the, the idea that we can see where this is going. And, and I think Rob's probably, uh, uh, said this publicly, but you know the 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 trade deadline of this year was kind of the the last bit of this teardown and and how everything is now forward looking and how we're all about building and growing and 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 winning and um, you know it was a tough it was a tough period of time I think right around you know Toff gets the hat trick you know and and Marty was there and and these sort of the last of the of the old crew was still there and. Um, you know, it was kind of a, a send off party in a sense, but, um, yeah, it, it's, it's been, it's been a wild ride, uh, to come from those highs and those expectations, the, the amount of turnover we've had in, you know, in, in, uh, you know, with Dean gone and, and the number of coaches that have kind of come and gone in a short amount of time. But, um, I think it's super exciting where we're at. And I know that that energy and that enthusiasm is, is palpable. It's, it's throughout all of the players. It's throughout the coaching staff, the training staff, the management, the development staff. And, and I think everyone right now is just super jacked about uh, getting back together and, and sort of uh, continuing what we ended on last year and, and this whole forward thinking and, and, and uh, rebuild, re- regrowth and getting back to the top of where we need to be recreate LA. That's the, that's the trademark. That's the hashtag, by the way, we're going to need you to tweet that I've, I've trademarked okay. that. hashtag recreate LA, but yes, recreate. you're right. The, the turbulence has, has settled and uh, it's nowhere, nowhere, but up from here. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Pricer. And uh, when the Kings go on some, some extended winning streaks and start making some noise in the next couple of years, um, we'll have to have you back on. And then you can talk about the glory years and not just uh, think back to, you know, the turbulent times. Love it. Guys, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And, um, yeah, we look forward to seeing you around the rink again soon. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. All right, DB, uh, there you go, Matt Price. That was a, a different that was thing. Great, John. Yeah. Great selection for something that we normally wouldn't talk about. Yeah, and a very educated guy, and really, when it comes to these advanced analytics, he really gave a real good breakdown on on what they're looking to. And this is a new age team. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way they look at at how they want to win and get players better prepared is uh, is unique. 
Yeah, you know, there's so much that goes into being a pro athlete these days. I mean, we know a little yeah. bit about it, right? We see the pictures of guys smoking cigars. And I mean, <laughs> hell, half of them had jobs during the summer when you go way right. back, you know, right. they just exactly. rolled into, rolled into and for car dealerships well, and stuff. Well, what was training? Training camp literally was to train to get him to shape. shape exactly. It's not like it was or like it is now no. where guys work out year round. It's totally different. Um, so, you know, he's one of those guys who really has an, uh, an instrumental impact on the organization because of the closeness that he has with the players. This isn't right. this isn't an on-ice coach. This isn't somebody who's, you know, making decisions about line combinations and things, but he's helping these guys. You heard him talk about Curtis McDermott going way back on the Curtis McDermott. Like, yeah. Dermy's just sort of showed up on everybody's radar here over the last 12 months or so. Correct. But you right. look at, you know, when he was brought on by Dean and then, you know, talk about that. So you can see how Pricers had an impact on the organization yep. for many, many, many years behind the scenes working with all these players. Guys like Austin Wagner, who took huge strides uh, in, in terms of being a prospect and in the yep. development. And I mean, I, I I actually liked him just because he name dropped Mikey Anderson about 20 <laughs> times. Of course, we all know that uh, he's going to wear a letter but in Los Angeles. Guy. Well, hey, look, that he could be the future captain in yeah. LA. So, but, but fans don't understand the hours and hours that have to be put in like behind the scenes mm -hmm. to get to this level. It's not just about your gifts and your talent. It's about adhering to processes and getting prepared to play in a, you know, a league where you're one of the top 700 players in the world. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting how he talked about his career arc as well, talking about where he knew there was a, a point in time that his NHL dreams <laughs> were just yeah. that. They were dreams. I told you, no one grows up to be one to be a strength and conditioning coach. <laughs> you were but, right, okay. But, but it's, yeah, it, it is intriguing that, you know, and it, it, it's cool because you think of strength and conditioning coach, the image that conjures up is a guy in the weight room, not a guy with an iPad looking at time spent on the ice and things of that nature. So just the, the, the nomenclature of his job really doesn't lend towards what he's actually doing. He's actually doing sports science. He's mm -hmm. a sports scientist, really. Mm -hmm. That's true. Don't get me wrong. He's a fit guy, though, too. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Although he doesn't use shaving cream anymore, so we know that now. That was, exactly. You know, the tidbits that I come do, out. Do, exactly. The tidbits that come out on, this, know, on this show, DB. Uh, when, you, when you start to look ahead towards next year, I mean, he, he's yeah. talking about some of those, those young kids. Is there anybody, um, we joke about you not wanting to go to Ontario and things like that, but <laughs> is there any of the young players that you... Uh, have taken a liking to or that you're most intrigued about heading into camp when it finally gets going here, you know, down the road? Well, I, I think that the guy, and I'm not sure, John, educate me, but I, the guy that I think is going to be great in his intensity because of his lineage is, is a Tyler Madden. Mm -hmm. Like his intensity, because if I remember his dad, mm -hmm. Mad Dog Madden, John Madden was a fantastic player, tenacious. So, I, and I think, and I remember going back to the day of that trade, John, mm -hmm. is that like I found out and people started texting me like, Wow! Like yeah. they got a really like the Vancouver people were pissed. Oh, they were for they sure were really pissed. And now the fact that Toffoli you know, had a broken foot and may not play again, and he's walking around in a boot, that's that looks like a really good trade. They made they got the pick and the prospect for what seven or ten games for Tyler Toffoli. That comes out as a phenomenal trade. Well, DB, uh, that that player Madden that you're talking about yeah. there, he slid into the number five ranking on the Mayor's yeah. Manor top ten prospect rankings for the LA Kings. So for a guy to come in and to hit in the top five, it speaks to the quality of the prospect that they yeah. picked up in that deal. Uh, he Madden is definitely a few years away, I think, yeah. from making a crack at the NHL roster. But uh, what I just heard was you're interested in seeing Madden play out in Ontario. So we're going to have to book yeah. a trip to get you going out there. I mean, I don't even know if we're going to be allowed in the building. I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, we don't know the answer, but if if the fans aren't going to be allowed in the building, why even hike everybody out to Ontario to play the games? Just play the games at TSC. You have the building right there. Right. You don't you don't need to go 
all the way Great out to point. Ontario to play. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the, and the expense. The, well, yeah, I don't know, know what the contractual obligations yeah, right. are with the building be, so. and things like that. And so that might be there might be a yeah. reason why they have to. Um, but and you know, man's going to be the kind of kid because of his training. He's you know still you know still a kid. He's going to be working really hard with Matt Price to 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 bulk up and be able to play a man's game in a couple of years. He's going to need to bulk up, so yeah. <laughs> he needs to put on some weight, yeah. and that's okay. He's a young kid. Yeah, he's still no. a prospect. Uh, came out early as a college player, yeah. and now he's ready to go. Uh, Turcott, you know, came out early as well, so he's ready to go. So a lot happening in the Kings prospect pool. We'll talk more about that, DB, on a future episode. Yep. Thanks to Matt Price for joining us, and uh, hope all the fans enjoyed another episode of Kings of the Podcast. We'll be back again soon with another show. Sooner than later, DB. Absolutely, John. London Stock Exchange Group is here to be your essential global markets infrastructure and data partner, where open isn't just a platform, but a philosophy, giving you the freedom to make your mark in the world. LSEG. Open makes more possible.